If Washington wants to get right with voters, it has to start listening to them. Welcome to Beyond the Bubble. I'm Alex Rorty, a national political correspondent covering Democrats for McClatchy. And I'm Andrea Drush, reporter for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram covering politics here in D.C. This week, we're looking at teacher protests in Kentucky and why they're happening. Andrea, who are we going to have on to talk about this? We're going to bring in some reporters from our McClatchy papers out in the States. We've got Dan DeRocher from the Lexington Herald-Leader in Kentucky, who's been following this story. And we've got Jamie Self from The State, which is a newspaper in Columbia, South Carolina, who's been talking to teachers down there. All right. You ready? Let's do it. January 20th, the day the people became the rulers of this nation again. Our ideals and fundamental values are being attacked. Do we retreat or do we fight? I say we fight. He heard those voices that were out there that other people weren't hearing, and he just earned a mandate. It is time for Democrats to grow a backbone and get out there and fight. The American people would like to try something new. We would like to see the country go in a different direction to change the course for America. He doesn't take this presidency seriously enough. So to all Americans, hear these words. You will never be ignored again. So for this week's show, we wanted to take you truly beyond the bubble to what has been one of the biggest political stories of the year that you might have missed amid all of the Stormy Daniels coverage. West Virginia's historic statewide teacher walkout. Teachers in Oklahoma are striking for the fourth straight day. When will the Arizona teacher walkout come to an end? Thousands of teachers get ready to rally at the Colorado State Capitol. We're talking about teacher protests which have happened in West Virginia, Kentucky, Arizona, Oklahoma, Colorado, and it's not a stretch to think that more could be coming soon. So the obvious question is why? Why is this happening now? And what does it mean for the politics, not just in these states, but nationally? And to get our answers, we want to dive into one state in particular, Kentucky. Kentucky's had teacher protests for almost a year now, and teachers are upset over two dueling issues. You've got the pension reform, which passed the legislature in March, and education funding in the state budget. But what really made teachers take to the streets is how future teachers are going to be affected. Instead of a pension, they'd get a cash balance plan that isn't guaranteed, and teachers who have served less than 20 years have to work until they're 60 years old to collect the maximum pension. So, and, and the cost of living adjustments are also a big factor in this. You know, there were threats that it would decrease from 1.5% a year increase uh, to 0.75% for the next 12 years. That didn't eventually get passed in the law, but it was one of the things that incited so much uh, backlash from teachers. And interestingly enough, the teachers flocked to a Facebook group with 42,000 members. It was called KY120, and they used this to band together. One of those teachers was Jennifer Latham, and we spoke with her earlier this week. We want to first say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I teach uh, seventh grade math at Beaumont Middle School in Lexington, Kentucky. And how long have you been a teacher? Uh, 19 years. What you're saying is you're not new to this. No, I'm not. (laughs) Can you take us back to when you first heard about this pension bill in Kentucky And tell us a little bit about your first reaction uh, at that time and what happened afterward. Um, Well, that's kind of interesting because actually I think for a lot of people across the country, it seems like it's just been a very recent thing. But for us here in Kentucky, it's been an all-year thing. It's been an ongoing thing. So really, 
we've been hearing rumors about what the governor wanted to do since this past summer. Um, governor Bevan announced his plan for keeping the promise for his plan for changing the pension system back in October. We've been fighting all year, emailing and calling legislators all year. Um, we've kind of felt like it was a, a victory that the special session didn't happen because we were promised that there would be a special session, that they were going to just push through the pension reform bill. That didn't happen, even though it was that was still getting on the air and saying, well, there's going to be a special session. There's going to be a special session. So some of us were like, okay, can we have Christmas now? You know, it was really kind of like, you know, please let this be. But that's just been an ongoing all year thing. So when we did finally hear about the bill, it wasn't really a lot of surprises. But, you know, some of the elements that initially were proposed was just gradually kind of pulling them back because his original proposal was just so awful. We couldn't even imagine that being implemented and how that would look. But I can't even remember at this point not thinking about this because this year has been, for me and not just me, it feels like a second job constant communication with legislators and constantly trying to do whatever we can to fight this because it just keeps going. Jennifer, can, can you, for the listeners, I mean, just bottom line it, what are the, the main objections to the reform? You know, what we saw originally had, had a lot more to it. In its current form, you know, many would argue it's better. What it does still do, it eliminates the pension system for our new teachers. There was no actuarial analysis, so there's many questions as to how this new cash balance plan is even feasible, how that makes any sense. But a big part of what it does is it really makes it difficult for teachers who want to teach with removing that benefit. So you've essentially removed the benefit for anyone who wants to teach here now. You know, teachers don't expect to get rich. But the pension is a benefit that we can rely on, especially here in Kentucky, considering we have no Social Security. And that's another issue. Our new teachers also will not have Social Security. So they'll essentially have a 401k cash hybrid plan that has no guarantee. So you don't have the guaranteed system of a pension. You do not have Social Security. So those teachers, if that is enacted and continues, then they have no safety net. But for me, I mean, I I care about not just the new teachers that are coming in, but I worry about our in, entire educational system. If we're no longer recruiting quality teachers, I see how that will affect education. I see what a huge impact that's going to have if our public education system is devalued and hurt, then it just further makes the case or choice and finding another way. And Jennifer, this is, we're to a point where it's your second job now. Before this year, how politically active were you and the teachers that you work with? I, you know, paid attention. I always voted. I, I feel like I'm fairly politically aware, but I've told many people that I feel like everybody has to really step it up. And, you know, for some people, we have people who have, you know, not voted. And that's one of the problems we've had here. We had people who didn't even vote. But those of us who made sure to vote, made sure to pay attention to the issues, um, now we're the level of involvement is just, you know, is continuing to go up. And now I'm working with candidates. Like, what can I do? It's it's just like 
everybody has to turn it up. And I'm surrounded by people, teachers, and I guess everybody. I mean, I'm around teachers all the time, but so many of us just want things to work. And so it's really easy to just focus so much on what we're doing, what we're trying to do. What's gotten us awake is the way that these things are going to hurt these kids that we're fighting so hard for every day. Was there a moment in all of this where you, you kind of couldn't believe how much work you were doing in protest where, you know, you, you stuck your head up for a second and, and were, were just a little struck by how politically active you had become? The beginning of this year, it's like I started emailing my legislator, my senator, my representative. I, I started just being regular, regularly making those emails and trying to make those contacts and encouraging other people to do the same thing and then you know, slowly I'm like, you know what, I'm going to email everybody. And then it became, I'm emailing everyone every day. I'm calling the hotline every day. And I'm definitely not the only one. And could you talk about how, if at all, this legislation has uh, hurt your ability to do your job right now? Well, we did end up with lots of cuts, even though we didn't end up, like in Fayette County, where I teach, um, we were looking at originally like $24 million or something crazy in cuts. We're still getting cut $9 million. Um, we're losing many teachers. We're losing uh, textbook funding. We're losing um, professional development funding. So, um, you know, basically anything extra. At our school, you know, we want some of the positions that we're, we're losing. I teach math, and one of the things that we've been able to do here is um, when we, you know, identify someone with skill deficits and someone who needs extra help, we've been able to you know, enroll them in a class, an elective class where they can work on those skills. Whereas, you know, in my class, I'm a, I'm a regular ed teacher and I teach the seventh grade curriculum. You know, there's lots of kids that are behind and need a little extra help to kind of make it up to that point. And so we've been able to have a, a math intervention teacher and a reading intervention teacher um, for those students who need that little extra push to kind of help them get up to the skill level. And those are two of the positions that we're going to lose. You know, there's after school help and tutoring that'll be gone. So it's just the amount of what we have to do only grows and the resources that we have just continue to shrink. So we have to learn to be creative. We just have to find another way. And I, right now, I don't know how we're going to recoup those losses right now. Why do you think that it's teachers all across America are choosing now at this moment to have these protests? Well, I think it's been an oncoming thing. I mean, it's not like suddenly there are these problems. Teachers in, in West Virginia and many places that are that their pay is so low, that's, that didn't suddenly happen. Um, but what has happened is I feel like it, it is a wave in that I know I was listening to an interview with, I think it was teachers from Arizona, who were talking about how they saw us protesting in Kentucky, we weren't protesting for a, a pay raise. You know, what we were, what we wanted was funding for our schools. And so many of the other states have seen that and gone, it's worse here. Why are we not doing that? So it's kind of like, you know, we all exist in our own world and we see the problems, you know, but it's, I think so many of us as teachers, especially, we just kind of, we make do with what we have so much. That's what we're trained to do, to just kind of, you know, turn anything you have into, you know, everything that you need. And, and so I just feel like 
when we kind of rise up out of our world and look around and we see that things can be better and that other people are managing to accomplish that, then it just inspires us and gives us that will to to do what we need to do. And when you're offered such resources, such a terrible proposal, you can't even fathom how bad things would become. We already know the problems that we have now. When we see how bad things could be if we don't do something, then, you know, that spurs some of us on as well. And how do you see this playing out in November? Oh, I I definitely think we're going to see a wave of change. And I can tell you I'm not alone. I keep having people ask me, so who's a good candidate for me to go help? Or, you know, can, how can I get some yard signs? Or how can I do this or that? So it's definitely an energy that I have never felt anywhere before. It's political activism. I have never been around this level before. And that, if anything, is definitely good. I mean, that's the positive of all this, that we're paying attention, we're awake, and we want change, and we're going to do what it takes to make that happen. Hey, Jennifer, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, no problem. Thank you again for asking me. Those are some tough words for Governor Bevan and Republicans in Lexington, and we wanted to get their side of this. So we asked the governor to join our show, and our request went unanswered. We also asked the governor's office if they could provide us with someone else who could talk about their perspective on this, but again, no response. So we've got the next best thing today, some reporters who can maybe help us get inside Bevan's head and talk about this issue. Daniel DeRocher has been covering this story for the Lexington Herald-Leader. He's going to give us a look about how it all went down in Kentucky. And we also have Jamie Self from the state who just wrote a compelling piece about teacher shortages in South Carolina. Welcome, Jamie and Daniel. Thank you for having us. Daniel, let's let's go to you first. As Andrea said, we just heard from from Jennifer. If you can, for the listeners, you know, frame this debate that has roiled your state uh, for almost a year now, and and maybe if you could give us some of the the Republican perspective on on this. Yeah, so I think that the debate really starts with Kentucky's unfunded pension liability, and and this is definitely where where the Republicans are coming from, and this is the Republican argument is that Kentucky has one of the worst funded pension systems in the country. There's just this massive pension debt that they need to address, that they need to start paying off. And so in doing so, they've argued that there needs to be pension reform. It's for future teachers. Daniel, let me me ask you something, because uh, did this catch people by surprise? Because this sounds like the sort of thing that, well, no, duh, teachers are going to be angry. Yeah, I, I mean, it didn't really catch them by surprise. I think that they were a little surprised at how angry the teachers were and how or how much they assembled in Frankfurt, right? So I remember being at that hearing where they introduced this bill and it was just all red and it was all retired teachers who were there ready to kind of protest and say, no, don't do this. Last night we saw government at its worst, but today we're seeing democracy at its best. They started pushing back, right? So, so they were like, no, 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 don't do this to us. And at the same time, the governor he, he has this habit of saying things that, that make people angry. Um, and he accused teachers of hoarding sick days shortly after they released that thing. And then that just, it was, it, it turned into like a hornet's nest. It was basically like he took a baseball bat to the hornet's nest that is the teachers in Kentucky. And they started swarming and they started going after him. And it, and it kind of established, it set the tone for how this debate would go for the rest of the year. 
um, where Bevan would say something and the teachers would get angry and it just kind of riled up everybody's emotions and it made it really difficult to pass any kind of pension reform bill. And so to go back and, and talk about, I mean, where this started, when they were introducing this to where it ended up at the end of the session, it's night and day. I mean, if you look at the effect of the teacher protests, of, of the thousands of teachers that descended on Frankfurt, they did get a, a pension bill that was way less than was, what was originally proposed, right? So there was no there was no effect to retired teachers. They they got to keep all their pension benefits. Current teachers they they weren't really touched. There was there were a few things to stop them from spiking their benefits. Really, all of the changes went to future teachers because those are the people who aren't lobbying, right? Because <laughs> because future teachers can't really lobby in Frankfurt. And and so to watch where that transition is, is it's kind of fascinating. You know, in D.C., of all the cabinet confirmation battles, Betsy DeVos's was, you know, the education secretary was the one that shut down the phone lines in the Capitol. In Kentucky, were teachers organized before this? Have they, like, awakened a sleeping giant in Kentucky? Um, so teachers have always had, like, the Kentucky Education Association. So there's always been some form of lobbying going on in the Capitol. And, in fact, when they tried to do pension reform in 2013, they did pension reform for state government employees, but they didn't touch the teachers in part because of the fact that that teacher lobby is really strong. And when you think about it, like if you go into the rural parts of this state, the school board is the biggest employer in a lot of these representatives districts. So those teachers hold a lot of sway. And so, yeah, there's this this visible presence in Frankfurt of teachers who have descended upon there and are wearing red to the point where it's it's hard for me to cross from the Senate to the House. But the bigger factor is that when these people went home to their districts, their next door neighbor was saying, hey, what are you doing to my pension benefits, right? So the, there, there's this, this community aspect that is that to me is, is way larger than the people who were calling in and saying, don't take away my benefits. It was the fact that when they went home, they were facing criticism from the people who voted for well, yeah, and I wanted to ask you, Daniel, because Kentucky, you know, the, the quick political backstory on Kentucky is it's one of the last states that had been controlled at state legislative level by Democrats. And all these conservative states throughout the South, they had all really been cleared out, you know, even as, as, as early as 2010 uh, and, and been controlled by Republicans. That wasn't the case in Kentucky until 2016. And, and now you have Republican control there. Is there a sense that this has has reset things politically. Maybe Governor Bevin uh, has been damaged by this. Maybe that Democrats now feel like they have a sense of momentum heading into the fall. So the the one Governor Bevin completely, I think there's a sense that he has been damaged by this. Um, the worst of the comments I didn't even get to because it's been such a crazy year. Well, it's I mean, a family show. We don't we don't want to go into the the specifics. I, I think yeah. necessarily. Dan, and this can be a question for you too, Jamie. I know in Texas, you mentioned the school being the big employer. This like divides Republicans even among like rural and urban representatives. Is there a divide within the Republican Party in Kentucky and also in South Carolina? So in Kentucky, certainly. I mean, there's you could see it in the votes and, and where people lined up. There was this reluctance to vote for the pension reform at all, let alone what the governor had originally proposed. And so generally, you saw that divide a little bit more rural and versus urban, but even in the urban districts, I mean, those tend to be more democratic. So so there were a lot of people who were supporting the education system in the urban districts. It just really depended upon whether or not the schools were a big employer in, in your district. And I'm, I'm finding in South Carolina, you know, teachers are a huge, public schools are a huge employer uh, in South Carolina. We have about 50,000 teachers. 
we don't have unions in the true sense of the word here for teachers, but we do have some professional organizations and they have mostly been lobbying and in line with the Democratic Party in South Carolina. And of course, as you know, we are a a GOP controlled state for for some time now. So um, the issue of education has pretty much been dominated by Democratic politicians as a as a campaign agenda. But, you know, we saw even Nikki Haley try to make education a focus of her 2014 re-election campaign. So I don't think that a Democratic Party has a lockdown on education, but they certainly have historically been uh, the bigger advocates for public education and also uh, more funding for teachers and, and for schools. Jimmy, let, let me talk to you about a story you wrote recently uh, for the state that I think basically describes the teaching profession in South Carolina as in a state of crisis. Uh, I don't think that that is uh, too too overblown to, to say that. Uh, explain to us why that is. Sure. So the warnings have been around for several years now. We have a, an organization that does a study every year that looks at the supply and demand for teachers in South Carolina. And every year they come out with a report and it sort of gets glossed over Uh, But I did a a sort of a historical analysis and found that a a larger chunk of the teaching workforce is leaving the classroom every year and not coming back. So uh, 13% of the teachers who were in classrooms last school year left their jobs at the end of the year or during the year. One in 10 South Carolina teachers last year did not return to a South Carolina classroom after they left. And so uh, lawmakers and some education officials have been sounding alarms, but now they're starting to say, hey, look, we really need to look at this. And there are a couple other things happening, too, uh, that are problematic. One is the teaching colleges aren't producing the same number of graduates. And the leaders of the teaching colleges say that they're hearing uh, the, the biggest obstacle they face is a lack of interest of high schoolers. If you talk to teachers who are high school teachers, they say, why would our students, you know, why would they want to go into teaching? They see how hard we work. They see what long hours we work. They see how we're not respected. So it's something that education leaders say the state really needs to look at, but I'm not quite sure that lawmakers see it as a true crisis. Uh, We also have a retirement system, a program that has allowed teachers to work in the classroom past retirement age. Uh, That program expires this summer, and they're thinking about doing a year extension which would allow some of these retirees to continue working while collecting retirement benefits. But really, that's not a long-term fix at all because, you know, these folks are in their retirement age. They are going to retire probably sooner rather than later. So that's not really a fix either. Uh, So what I found uh, was the state is uh, increasingly looking to other sources uh, to fill the classroom. We've had um, uh, the number of uh, teachers with alternative certification, so folks who go into other professions and then decide, you know, I want to go and be a teacher. Uh, you, you go through 10 days of pre-service training, so that's two weeks of training on, on how to actually be a teacher. You pass a content test, you get your background check, and bam, you're in a classroom at the teacher on record 
for three years of on-the-job training, the number of those teachers is increasing. So you're saying if I wanted to become a teacher in South Carolina, I could I could knock that out in like a month? You know what? Uh, it takes about four to six months, but really you're just waiting on background checks and you have to take the, the praxis, which is the content test. But yeah, two weeks of your time and you can be a teacher in South Carolina. So come on, come on down. I should be able to pass Do the Do we know where checks. they're going? Are they going to charter schools? Are they going to other states to teach? Are they leaving the industry altogether? We don't know if they're going to private schools. I don't think they track that. They do ask them, are you leaving the state for another job? But there are some sort of catch-all categories, personal reasons, moving away or got a job out of state or something or want to stay home with my kids, that kind of thing, uh, all falls into this catch-all category. So one of the things that education leaders have been talking about doing is doing a better job at asking teachers, you know, where are you going when you're leaving the classroom? Because I don't think they really have a a very uh, firm grasp on that. Right. And that's something Republican governors don't like to hear is that jobs are leaving your state or um, people are leaving your state for other employment opportunities. You know, Daniel, and I want to hear from you on this, too. I mean, it sounds like, you know, we had mentioned in the show, I mean, these are protests that are happening in, in five other states where teachers have walked out or gone on strike, and a lot of them in, in more conservative, uh, traditionally conservative places like Oklahoma or Arizona. And, it, you know, Jamie, just based on what you said, I mean, do we, it seems like, it feels like something's happening here, um, that it's not confined to the individual states, that something is spreading. I mean, do we, do we think we're at some kind of inflection point here where teachers, because they've been underfunded or haven't, you know, in, in their view, uh, been treated right, that we're in some kind of, of a mini revolt? I mean, I, I, that, that sounds like a, a big, bold thing to say, but I don't know that it goes too far based on, on what we're hearing. I do think that we're in somewhat of a moment because I, I think that there's just been so many years of just stagnant funding for education, right? So like in Kentucky, they've increased it, but they haven't increased it to the levels that it would need to meet. So it's still not as high as it should be based on inflation, right? So so the funding levels are, are, are somewhat stagnant. And so I think the teachers are just kind of frustrated and they're fed up and they're starting to stand up. They, they feel like they're just not valued in, in the way that they should be. And it's really interesting that this debate has mostly centered around K through 12 education, right? Because everybody or most lawmakers, they have, they have a child who has gone through the public school system or, or they at least know people in the public school system. And you compare that to the higher ed system where they've been completely gutted and, and they're not protesting yet. I'm also wondering if there's going to be kind of this cascade, this waterfall, as so say more, more K through 12 teachers start to protest. Are we going to start seeing this at the college level? And are we going to start seeing higher education call for more funding so that they can put out more, more students? And also, is it a pattern among the states? Are we seeing more states take up this type of legislation? Yeah, and and I mean, so so far it's really happened in red states, right? And and that's interesting too. I mean, it's happened in states where the legislature was controlled by Republicans. Although in West Virginia and Kentucky, that's a little bit more complicated because the Democrats had control. That being said, these are conservative Democrats. So I think in Massachusetts, they wouldn't call the people who were controlling the legislature in West Virginia, where I worked before Kentucky, and and in Kentucky, true. Democrats. So, so that's another interesting kind of facet to it. And in South Carolina, you know, it's uh, it's a little tricky. We've been asked if we think teachers will strike. We had a, a official from Kershaw say that he thought maybe it was possible, but 
in South Carolina, you know, we don't have collective bargaining rights for public employees. So for teachers to get together and to uh, try to strike, uh, that's sticking their neck out in a way that, you know, I imagine a lot of them are too fearful to try And, you know, in the series that I wrote, I interviewed so many teachers who refused to go on the record, wanted to remain strictly anonymous, or would go on the record and then have second thoughts and call me back and say, please, please don't put my name in the paper, or former teachers whose spouses still worked in the system, and they were fearful of whether uh, there would be some sort of retaliation against uh, spouses. So, and also teachers here don't have any say whatsoever in what they get paid. That's a decision that's made in the legislature. Right now, they're debating whether to give them a 2% raise or a 1% raise. And, you know, as we all know, uh, with inflation and the cost of living, that's, you know, and also the cost of health care and even their retirement benefits. You talk about the pensions in Kentucky, you know, South Carolina has a pension system that is uh, similarly saddled with debt. Even the organizations for teachers haven't been pushing in that direction lately. So I I don't really think that we're going to see here what we've seen in other states, unless it gets just much, much, much worse. Well, hey, Jamie and Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yep, thanks for having Thank you for having us. So we couldn't end the show Without doing everyone's favorite segment, the lightning round, Andrea, you're up first. All right, I got one for you today. Uh, Andrea was really excited about this, just so everyone knows, so it it, it better be good. (laughs) It is Texas, of course. Uh, This week we have a Fort Worth, Texas State House representative, Jonathan Stickland, who has declared war with the Fort Worth Star-Telegram on Twitter today. Uh, He is in a dispute with the editorial board and called the Star-Telegram liberal, lazy, and filled with fake news, which is maybe not a huge surprise after um, last week's NRA convention in Dallas, where you had everyone from President Donald Trump to Mike Pence to Senators Cruz and Cornyn deriding the media and sowing distrust for the reporters that cover them to much applause, I would add. And there's really no greater political point to this. But, uh, you know, you can catch all of this drama unfolding on Twitter. So mine is State Senator Richard Ojeda. Why am I mentioning State Senator Richard Ojeda? Well, he's from West Virginia. He's running for Congress. And probably by the time you're listening to this, we'll actually have won the Democratic Party's nomination for West Virginia's third congressional district. He, in the mold of Randy Bryce, the sort of blue-collar, lunch-pail Democrat who was taking on Paul Ryan in Wisconsin's first district, he has a very similar profile. And he is someone who I think you will be hearing about a lot nationally as the party tries to rediscover its blue-collar roots, as it tries to retake a majority in the House in 2018. Richard Ojeda, someone to watch. Thank you to producer Jordan Murray Smith. And thank you, our listeners. We want to hear from you. So please send your questions and your comments to btb at mcclatchy.com or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash beyondthebubblepod. Tell us what you're seeing in your battleground states. We might even ask you to call into the show. And check us out on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. We want to say thank you to everyone who's left us a review or a rating. Talk Talk to to you you next week. week.